welcome along. It's the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio on this Saturday, the 31st of March. Porrick Organ, Time's good morning. Time's away. Good morning, Deirdre. That has to be the quickest month of March. Yeah, the first uh, quarter is over. It's it just flying April by time. April Fool's Day tomorrow. Huh? I'm so glad it's not today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'd, sure, I'd surely walk into us. it. <laughs> Good morning to you. How are you? It's been a fantastic week. It's been a brilliant week, really, in the garden. The last 10 days have just been you're superb. Um, I've picked up a cold, probably, as you, as you yeah, heard. Yeah, I, I, I hope it wasn't me that passed it on. It must have been. You were missing here <laughs> last I hope, week. Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah, I was in abstentia last week. And thanks to Jerry uh, for filling in. But, uh, yeah, we're back in action. And yeah. we, we trust you'll recover soon as well. But it's, a, it's been a great week. And mm. the amount of people out gardening, cutting their lawns, I suppose the, they've got the extra hour in, in the evening as well so you know people have been out there and um, you know you can see the amount of colour the amount of flowers that are coming into bloom at the moment They're all, everything is responding to the good weather and of course the winter had been very wet so the, the ground was very moist so there's plenty of moisture there and of course when the heat comes everything comes into bloom and, and you know it's, it, things are flaring their heads off this year even things like the wild gorse is lovely at the moment the cherries we were chatting about the cherries just yeah I, I, I just said that I, I came around a corner yesterday evening and I, I think over the last couple of days, I don't know, is it the burst of heat or yeah. what has really, but they've just literally come out all of a sudden. Correct. And uh, it, this was the most beautiful white cherry blossom with uh, all of the of the of the flowers out, and it just lifted my heart. The tree is nearly covered, felt, isn't it? Oh, it just it was absolutely stunning. Yeah, now, yeah. Really well, that's that's a, that's a cherry called Prunus charite. It's the flat top cherry. So when you see it, it doesn't grow very tall, mm. but it actually grows outwards. Just quite wide, yeah. Yeah. So we call it the flat top. Uh, cherry because it's like a flat top on a table and you get the flowers hanging down so that's a lovely variety called Pruna Charité and actually this is a great time of year to plant it and it's it's a very good reliable variety for smaller gardens maybe medium sized gardens people are more probably familiar with the Prunus cans and the pink mm. flowering cherry which grows quite large and, and more erect and more upright but the, the tabletop cherry is a beautiful variety one called Prunus Charité and you know if you can certainly plant it put one in the garden maybe oh, you're just there giving you me an idea <laughs> Shovel out <clears throat> when I go home, um, and it's and it's great weather for planting as well, Deirdre. You know, sometimes we associate the warm weather with maybe co- cutting back on on planting because the ground can be quite dry. But the ground is still very very moist. Anybody out digging will know that. Um, yeah. There's still plenty of moisture in the soil, so it's a great time to still plant, be it trees or shrubs or vegetable plants, and um, lots of moisture in the soil. So it's going to be very strong growth over the next couple of weeks. Certainly, if the temp- I know the temperatures have come back a little, but the temperatures at the moment are, are more normal. March temperatures, mm. you know, that well, even a bit on the high side, maybe for March, because sometimes March can be just a bitter month. Yeah, and uh, you know, you'd expect in March five degrees, six, seven, eight degrees, you know, anything kind of up to ten degrees. But we, we were experiencing, you know, fourteen, fifteen, up to twenty degrees last week, which would be more May, June sort of temperatures. Mm. So the growth is going to be very, very strong over the next couple of weeks. And I would certainly advocate for people if they're interested in planting plants, be it fruit trees, be it the prunus charite, vegetable plants, sowing new lawns, anything like that weather conditions are just ideal and soil conditions are very good as well. Okay. Well, I'm suspecting an awful lot of people are out and about already. As they have been. The I've been watching yeah. them. And been... I, I can see from the questions coming in already this morning that mm. uh, I think they've been waiting for your appearance this morning to, <laughs> sol- to solve their problems well, so that go. they can continue let's go. on. We're going to start off with some rhubarb, Porik. Um, yeah. Rhubarb, that the leaves are turning yellow and something is eating them. Okay, well, well slugs and snails will attack uh, rhubarb, particularly the foliage and stems and, you know, uh, so that's more likely likely to be the problem. The yellowing is a sign that the rhubarb is hungry and you need to feed rhubarb. Like when you think about it, rhubarb grows from literally nothing. It's beneath the soil and it has to grow with it up to about 18 inches to 2 feet and very, very quickly within a very short period, 3 to 4 weeks, it attains that height. So it needs energy and you need to give it a good 
uh, feed and I would use something like Sudden Impact which is a good granulated feed around the base of rhubarb now you need a bit of moisture to, to wash it in but we're, we're going to get that so apply that that'll reverse the greening and your slugs and snails well you know what to do with those yep we do <laughs> <laughs> But just just a little bit, isn't that yeah, it? Yeah, just a just little, little bit, bit. Yeah, little enough, and, yeah. and use the organic pellet, the the slug death if possible. Yeah. Okay. Now, bishop weed. Yeah. I, I, what's bishop weed? Bishop weed is is a it's a perennial weed. Um, it's her, it's a herbaceous weed, so it dies to nothing in the winter. You don't see it in the winter, uh-huh. but of course, here, hey presto, it comes back at this time of year, and it's very invasive. It spreads like strawberry runners. Oh, I think right? I know the one. It's got yeah. underground stems, a broad sort of a leaf on it and you know it's a terror when it gets into shrub borders and beds very difficult to to eradicate now you will find something like um 360 weed killer will work very effectively on it but when you're applying 360 it's quite safe to use once it touches the soil it becomes inactive so it won't damage trees and shrubs or hedging plants through its roots but if it gets on the foliage of your trees and shrubs then it can damage them so my advice if if the listener has the bishop weed say growing through shrubs or roses or whatever, under a hedge or wherever it is, just shelter those plants by maybe covering them with a refuse sack or putting a bin over them. So just protect the foliage or get somebody with you to just wrap a bit of plastic around the plant as you're coming up close to spraying it. But do remember when you're using 360, once it touches the soil, it's inactive. So you can actually spray it very safely on the stems of shrubs or on the stems of trees, but keep it off the, the foliage. The foliage. So something like Copper Beach, which hasn't come into leaf yet, mm-hmm. if you do a lot of weed and grass at the base of it or bishop weed at the base of it, because it hasn't come into leaf, the 360 is very safe to use because right. it cannot damage the beach because there's no leaves on it. So in the same way, just get a bit, little bit of polythene or a refuse sack, drop it over the plants, spray the bishop weed, leave it for about an hour and then remove the, the refuse sacks off the plants and they'll be perfectly okay. Um, and do add a little bit of washing up liquid to the mix because it tends to stick it onto the leaf and you just get that better kale. So, you know, if the bishop weed, which it should be about three to four inches high at the moment, mm. now would be a good time. If it hasn't reached that height, give it another week or two. Mm. Let it come up. The more foliage that's on the bishop weed, the better the kale you're going to get. Okay. So use 360. You'll find that effective. And a, a dry day. A dry you day. To, oh, well, right. well, you need a couple of hours of drying. So, you know, it's a bit misty this morning, but uh, if it dries up today, then go ahead and do it. Yeah, okay, great stuff. So hopefully, because <clears> this person has t- taken it away a lot of times, but yeah, and just, as you it, said, it's well, prolific, dig, it keeps coming back. And you see, digging digging won't work because you leave the smallest particle of root behind and it just... It prop- just takes off again. And, and if anything, when you dig it, you're propagating it because you're dividing the root. Okay. So you're spreading it further. You're better off to use a treatment. Okay, great. Now, laurel hedge causing yes. a problem. The leaves have holes in them and they're being eaten. That's a, a little... Um, it's not really a disease but it's more kind of a, a growing disorder of laurels it's a thing called shot hole fungus it's as if you took the shotgun <laughs> to okay. the laurel and yeah. it, it, it peppers the leaves with small holes yeah. um, about the size of shotgun pellets so okay. they call it shot hole fungus um, it, it tends to happen on laurels that are hungry or that are under stress right. so if the plants are a little bit weak or they just haven't kicked into growth yet you tend to get that shot hole fungus the thing to do with it is to feed it and if you feed it the, the new growth will be perfectly okay and free from shot hole fungus. Okay. So my so advice is really again, is sudden it? impact or a tree and shrub feed, a granulated feed. And for any trees and shrubs or roses, you know, forget about the liquid feeds. Use a granulated feed because you need something stronger, something with more of a bite and a kick in it. And laurel is a hungry plant. So you need something. The sudden impact would be ideal. About a handful around the base of each laurel and repeat it a month later. And all the new growth that you see coming on it will be perfectly free of um, the shot hole fungus. Okay. Now, if it's little notches yeah. on the leaves, it could be a thing called vine weevil, which is a little beetle that feeds at night time. But it's a very distinctive U-shaped 
notchy munches around the edge of the leaf. Okay. Um, and an odd bit of that is no harm. I wouldn't get I wouldn't be losing any sleep over right. it. Um, so, but so the shot on fungus is very distinctive. It's holes like your shotgun blast, and the the vine weevil is very much it's distinctive as well in that it's a U shaped notch. Um, if it's very bad, you can certainly use something like Bug Clear, uh, which w- will control vine weevils. But to be honest, if it's only a small bit of damage here and there don't lose any sleep and feed the plants get them growing and laurel is a good tough robust hardy plant so okay because I <clears> have uh, taken that advice and I've uh, fed my own laurels uh, so most of them probably don't need feeding but there's a couple that maybe are a little bit under stress like that yeah but um, no I would feed them anyway yeah. even, even if the hedge is, do, is lovely and green and okay. healthy feed it by all means because yeah. you're you know prune it tip it back like I mentioned a couple of weeks back and then feed it because you want to stimulate that growth and even on a healthy laurel yeah. it will benefit from, from, a, a, from yeah. a bit of feed it'll, yeah it'll, absolutely Put on a spurt. Yeah. And just when the granu- when the gr- uh, you put the granulated uh, feed on, does it need to be watered in, or is it okay no, no, just to leave we, it on top? We've enough, we've enough dew at night time, okay. and I'm ca- I can guarantee you now we'll, we'll, we'll have some rain, <laughs> unless the weather is. Ex- I want them to grow straight away. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can do. You can water it in, but to be honest, if it's a big hedge, yeah. I would just leave it lying on the surface. Now, another question, actually, Teresa asked, yeah. asked me this morning about if you have got shrubs where you've plantex and gravel. A lot of customers would have, or listeners would have, uh, beds done with, with plantex, yes. the, the weed for, uh, membrane, and gravel or, or bark on top. What do you do in that case? Well, you simply just apply the fertiliser, the granulated feed, the sudden impact onto the surface of the bark or the pebbles, and the rain will wash it'll, it through. Yeah, so don't worry down. about if you've got plantex there. It's a permeable uh, membrane. The water and the nutrition will, will wash and, and go down through it. So you simply just sprinkle it around the base and walk away. Okay, great. Now, <clears> somebody has a pear tree and it's just come into flower and what should they feed it with to help it to fruit? Well, again, uh, the pears and, and actually apples are, mm. are, there's loads of flower buds on them at the moment. Blackcurrants, gooseberries, they're actually, they're, they're, um, they're going to be covered in blossom and hopefully covered in fruit this year. Uh, pears do flower a little early so they are coming into bloom at the moment and funny enough, the bees don't particularly like pears for, for whatever reason. No. The, the, the pollen and the nectar doesn't atta- tend to attack attract bees. So my advice really if it's a small or you've got a couple of pear trees try to do a bit, little bit of hand pollination with them. So on a nice summer, summer's day uh, go out with your little paintbrush and just dab the flowers one one to one or if you have a couple of trees from one tree to another mm-hmm. just to cross the pollen because bees uh, you know they're, they're, they're certainly very attracted to blackcurrants and gooseberries and apples because the high pollen and nectar mm. but in, in pears it seems to be you know very minimal and, and you'll very seldom see bees on, on pear oh. trees the other thing is to feed it with a high potash feed so again our sudden impact would be ideal or a rose fertiliser or indeed you could put just sulphate of potash a handful of that around the base of it and that promotes flowering and fruiting in plants but it's great to see it flowering the fact that it's flowering this year and you do some hand pollination with it you'll get some pears this year okay should have a nice crop yeah, then yeah, yeah lovely stuff uh, now going to window boxes uh, somebody's going to do some have you any tips they just have clay and flowers uh, fl- oh, the flowers flooded last year on them well I, I, first of all I wouldn't use I wouldn't use clay in, in window boxes or containers because you're bringing in weed you could be bringing in your bishop weed you could be bringing in right. just weed seedlings and so on and you're better off you can actually buy a specific tub and basket compost um, or a container compost and it has all the nutrition that you need it's, it's weed free and it also tends to have swell gel which is that um, ingredient that stores moisture in the compost so it helps to cut down on the, the need for watering um, so I would get a tub and basket 
basket compost. Make sure that there's good drainage in, in the window box as well. That's, that's very important that the water can freely run through. Fill up your container with tub and basket compost. You could add a little bit of slow-release fertiliser to that as well mm. and that'll keep them fed for a six-month period. And then all the bedding plants are available now. The trailing petunias, the lovely white pacopa, uh, verbenas, nemesia, all those, the summer bedding are available. And to things like trailing petunias can actually tolerate quite cool conditions. So don't be worried about planting them up and leaving them outside. If you're fortunate to have a, a greenhouse or tunnel or a warm porch, then by all means put them in there. But stick them, plant them up the window boxes, put them in a sheltered spot, a sunny sheltered spot in the garden um, and just keep them watered and not liquid feed and they'll, 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 they'll be cracking. Great. They'll be lovely in, in by, by late May, early June. Excellent. Okay. One more and then we'll take a quick break. Um, somebody, uh, they said hydrangeas last year and this year and they haven't come up and they've fed them. Okay, well, they, they should be, the hydrangeas should be grow. There's no reason why they shouldn't be growing. Um, they're, they're budding at the moment, so there should be inch sort of buds or growth. So check the plant closely, go down right to the base of the plant and have a look for some um, new growth. Often hydrangeas, you'd be, over the winter, the, kind of, the stems might die back slightly and you could certainly prune them back, but you should see some visible growth at the base of the plant, uh, if nothing else, particularly the fact that you fed them, I'd be expecting at mm. least inch to two inches of growth. If they're not uh, growing, then they're not going to grow this year. If there's no significant signs of green buds on them at the moment, those plants have failed. And, um, you know, I'd be maybe going back to where you purchased them and just maybe talking to them about them, bring the plants back and because it's been a very mild winter, there's no reason why hydrangeas should have failed if there have been good, plant, good plants planted and planted correctly. And, you know, as, unless the soil is excessively wet or there's any other factor that, you know, could have caused the plants to, to fail. So I'd examine them closely, first of all. Right. Uh, they should be inch-long buds right at the base of the plant, if, if nowhere else. And if they're not, then lift the plant out and just bring it back to wherever you got them. Okay, great. Hopefully that uh, helps that person. Right, we are going to take a very quick break. Um, if you have a question for Porrick this morning, you can call us on 0818 That's our number. Text us either with thanks to CNC Cellular for Vodafone Mobile Broadband. That's reliable. 087 941 And not forgetting, our dedicated email is there, garden at midwestradio.ie. We're back in a couple of minutes. No, you're very welcome back. Uh, oh, there's so many questions in this morning, Park. I hardly know which way to turn. Um, here's something that I'm, that's an alien one to me, I have to be honest. Is it too late to sow plants that come in plug form? What does that mean? Plugs, well, pl- they're little baby plants. So the nurseries sow the seed um, of bedding plants, a lot of bedding plants, and actually vegetable plants and things like tomatoes and peppers. Uh, and they put them on sale as small little miniature, kind of inch high uh, plants with a little plug of soil. Oh. So we call them plug plants. Right. Or, okay. so, yes. so the answer to it, the question is no, it's not too late. Uh, if you've got them, pot them up. So the things like petunias and marigolds and lobelia are all available in those little plug forms. Now it is getting on. They're normally available kind of late February, March sort of period. Right. Um, and so you simply just take your little baby plug plants, pot them up into maybe a seed tray or into a tray with small little cells or small little pots, grow them on a windowsill or in your greenhouse and uh, you'd have lots of bedding plants then for the summer. 
Okay. But right. I would do them straight away, you know, get them because it's coming to the end of the season for the plug plants. Right. Okay. Now, I know we had rushes in the lawn uh, going back a couple of weeks, but yeah. it's obviously a, a prevailing difficulty. Somebody has rushes. They cut the lawn last week. They're wondering, should they spray them now or just continue cutting them? And what would they spray them with? Well, to be honest, I would have uh, spraying them. I would have sprayed them first and then cut the lawn, to right. be honest. So what I would do in this case, and rushes are a sign, obviously, that the soil is very wet. And again, we had a wet winter this year, so there's lots of them about. Um, so the first thing to do is to allow the rushes to grow back because if you continue to prune them, you won't have an opportunity to spray them. You need to spray them when the foliage is about six to eight inches high. So I wouldn't cut the lawn for about two weeks, allow the foliage of the rushes to come back and then hit them with a, a treatment called Dichloflar. Dichloflar. It's a, it's available in a litre bottle, a white litre bottle. Um, it's very good for broadleaf weeds and rushes in lawns. And particularly if you have a large lawn, that's probably one of the more, most economical way to do it. So right. Dichloflar is the, is the uh, treatment to use. Mix it up in water, add a little bit of washing up to it, make sure the rushes are six to eight inches high um, and apply it in, and within three to four days the rushes will start to die back and you can start to mow the lawn. Now the, the added benefit is that it'll kill things like buttercups, um, it'll think, kill things like creeping de- uh, thistles, um, you know, any of the kind of broadleaf weeds that you find in lawns at the moment that dichloflower is very effective. A lot of the golf course guys use it actually and they find right. it very effective. And you can use it right through the summer and particularly in the autumn it's, it's <coughs> very beneficial to use it as well you know because a lot of the weeds um, germinate over the summer period and are there waiting in the autumn to, to reappear in the spring so applying it in the autumn is a good time to do it as well Okay and so <clears> it just targets those specific weeds and rushes rather than and the lawn then gets to come up itself is well, it? well the lawn is, is unaffected because right. Dichloflora is, is, a, is a selective weed killer and that it only kills broadleaf weeds so it's specifically used for lawns and uh, so the grass remains unaffected but the main thing is that the weeds are actually growing they're visible and so, you know, don't cut the lawn and then spray. Ideally, leave the lawn for a week. Allow right. the weeds to come. And if anything, I would actually feed the lawn. And in, in feeding the lawn, you're feeding, them on. you're feeding the weeds as well. And they're going to come on. They're going to be nice and soft. Right. You hit them with the dichloflower and that will kill them off within three to four days. Okay, it makes great. it more effective. Lovely, lovely. Just a dry day. Apply it through a knapsack sprayer and you'll find it very effective. Okay, and that can be used if you you know if you buy a tub of it, mm. you can use it. Then I think we had a, somebody to, looking for buttercups in. Actually, just in the, the next garden. question is really yeah. relating so to buttercups. The dichloflower would would actually work on any broadleaf weed, be it in your lawn or be it on a pathway or in through a shrub bed. Mm. You know, as long as you just keep it isolated to that weed. To that weed, yeah. okay. Because yeah. if you were in a shrub bed, you don't want to get it. You onto don't want to blast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything you else you that, you want, that you want that you want to hang on to. Spot treatment here yeah. and there in the garden, and that would eliminate docks and nettles and buttercups or whatever. Yeah. That's another thing on Daisies. my list for later on today. Um, now, somebody, uh, yeah, that's the buttercup, so that uh, resolves that, hopefully, for you. Uh, now, somebody has a small greenhouse and it's cleared out and they're Good. ready to plant some new plants for it. Uh, and they're just wondering, what would be suitable to grow now that would be frost-free or would frost be a problem? Well, um, well, certainly, I would be using the greenhouse this time of year to, to plant up, say, hanging baskets, window boxes, containers, like I mentioned earlier, with the training petunias and the nemesia and so on. Um, so do up your containers and put them into the greenhouse and that'll give them a great start. You'll have them in flower three to four weeks earlier than you would have them if left outside. Mm. But you could also be teeing up the, the greenhouse for growing potatoes in pots, for example. Uh, Orla and Colleen and varieties like that could be grown in a greenhouse. Uh, now it's a small greenhouse, so maybe do one pot of that. Uh, tomatoes, cucumbers, uh, courgettes, they're all available as plants now. Now they do, and again, you could grow them in containers or you can grow them in the board 
board or soil or in grow bags in the greenhouse at this time of year. They are can be frost sensitive, so if we did get some heavy frost, you need to cover them with a little bit of plant or uh, not plantex, but uh, garden fleece, the white material. Yes. Put that or drape that over them uh, if the nights are going to be cold. But certainly from now on, it's it's the time of year to be getting tomatoes into the into the greenhouse, your cucumbers, your melons. Uh, courgettes, strawberries would be great to take the strawberries in now into the greenhouse, it'll force them into flower early and you'll get fruit very early in the Lovely. season. So, you know, use the greenhouse at this time of year for sowing seed as well for sowing seeds of bedding plants it would be an ideal time to you simply sow, compost into a tray have it moist, sow seeds like marigolds, uh, sweet peas nemesia, anthraniums, all of those can be sown in the greenhouse, cover them with cling film and they'll germinate within a two or three week period. So you use the greenhouse at this time of year to get plants started potting up some potatoes maybe in tubs uh, any of the veg as well can be grown lettuce, onions, sow them from seed or from plants, they're both available at the moment and the glasses just gives you that early start. So Window boxes, plant, hanging baskets, any of those sort of containers, I'd start them now in the greenhouse. Tomatoes, cucumbers, melons, any of any of those materials can be planted up now. Grow some potatoes and some veg as well. Okay, lots Make of options of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, I think that's going to be a busy greenhouse. Now, you just mentioned some potatoes there. Somebody <coughs> bought some Accord seed potatoes. Right. They haven't grown them before. They're wondering what they're like and should they grow them in pots or in the soil? Uh, yeah, well, Accord, first of all, is a very early variety. It's uh, it's one of the first early varieties. Um it's a potato really that's it's it's a waxy potato so it's probably not as well known in in Ireland as maybe our curse pinks and our roosters and so mm. on so it's it's a it's a waxy variety so it's really a salad potato okay um very early it's got uh, kind of white skin and white flesh um and it's quite a short uh, stemmed variety so it's ideal for pots so it's an, a great one for actually putting into containers because the stems don't grow very tall maybe two feet at most so it's a very compact variety you'd be digging it any time from the first or second week of July if planted now right. and remember that it is a salad variety so it's not those big bl- You're not, it's, no, not, it's, it's not it's not big mashed potatoes no, very we're good having. for wedges actually yeah. Okay. yeah it's very good for wedges um, and for salad I'd use it for so that's a variety called a cord and yeah it's quite a nice one uh, but it is but it is a waxy variety okay great uh, good luck with that if you've never grown them before now somebody has a small raised rockery bed in a sunny location. Okay. Um, can you tell us some plants that they can plant now to flower this summer and they'd like them low growing if okay, possible? Okay, well straight away what I would go for are the alpine range plants which are and many of them are coming into flower at the moment. Things like the blue campanulas um, the lovely obrishas in bloom at the moment white arabus is flowering at the moment. So alpine plants and I think we talked a couple of weeks ago about mm. them. They originate from the Alps or from mountainous regions. They're, they're creeping plants. Perennial which means they flower every year and if you're planting them in a sunny border then put them in groups of three so three obrisha together three arabas together and look for varieties that flower at different times of the year so obrisha campanula arabas are blooming now but go for varieties then that'll flower later on in the summer like dianthus would be lovely um, it's like a carnation but it's a miniature variety helianthemum which is the sun rose or the rock rose mm. um, which again is very low growing and ground tugging so Go into your local garden centre, ask them to show you the range of alpine plants. My advice is to put them in clusters of three and, like we said a couple of weeks back, impoverish the soil by adding some grit or sand to the soil. So give them a nice gritty sandy base and they'll just thrive and particularly if it's a sunny border they'll do very, very well. 
lovely. And now is a great time to plant them. And and you'll see lots of them in flower. So, you know, there are, lots of the varieties are actually in flower at this time of year. So it's a great time to select the plants. Yeah, you get an idea of how things are going to look. Yeah, but make sure that you pick other varieties then that are going to give you colour in June and July and August. And often where, where you're using alpines, it's a good idea then in the autumn to introduce some dwarf bulbs like snowdrops, crocuses, dwarf daffodils that give you colour in February and March. And then the alpines start to flower from then on. So it's a good way of companion planting, putting bulbs in with, with alpines, but make sure that the, the short dwarf varieties. Okay, and maintain, maintaining a bit of colour for a longer. Yeah, and the bulbs are easy, they'll just come back year after year and, and the alpines will come back year after okay, year. Okay, so low maintenance yeah, then at the actually, end of the day yeah. once it's and up the, and running. The alpines, when you're finishing the bed, I would put a layer of gravel underneath the plants. A, it'll act as a weed suppressant, but B, the plants actually like to grow on that and it, it looks very decorative as well and yeah, once you have it done, it's pretty, it's pretty maintenance free after that. Okay, great. Now, uh, some Somebody has pruned back their cherry trees quite hard. Right. The branch cuts are about four inches wide and they're wondering, should I paint them with something to seal them? Yes, I would. And, and cherries, um, cherries, it's probably a tad early to be cutting them back because they, they, they tend to bleed. They tend to ooze um, sap okay. once you cut them. So, But having said that, the, the, the fact that the, the growth is starting, they'll start to heal over. Four inch cuts, definitely I'd put a sealant on it. There's a, a treatment called Medo, M-E-D-O and you simply just paint it on it's it's like a wax so soften it in a bit of hot water put the tub sitting in boiling water for maybe 10 or 15 minutes that'll soften the wax right. and then you paint the mido onto the the cut surface and that seals the wound there's also a fungicide in it will protect it from any disease getting in because if you leave that exposed the it's chances are you get rot right. occurring um so mido uh, soften it in, in hot water, paint it onto the surface and that'll that'll seal it up very quickly. Okay, one more, then we'll take another mm. little break. Um, somebody is wondering, can you give us a couple of options for climbing plants to cover a plastered wall of a garage? Climbers that will hold their leaves, please. Right, some evergreen evergreen mm. climbers. Well, I suppose what springs to my mind and what I've grown in my own garage is, is some of the ivies, the um, gold child, gold heart. There's lots of different varieties of ivy. The, what I like about them is that they self-cling, so they root to the plastered wall themselves. They're evergreen, they hold the foliage all year round and they're a great uh, support for other climbers so once they're established you can introduce clematis or honeysuckles or any of the, the, the summer flowering um, climbing uh, climbers that need support so I'll put the ivy on space them about three feet apart it's important to spread the stems uh, down and, and clip mm-hmm. them onto the wall initially and once they start to grow they get a feel of the plastered wall and they cling on themselves another plant you could consider would be firethorn or pyracantha which is um, evergreen white flowers in April berries then come on from August, September and it gives lovely winter colour so mm. you've got spring and winter colour and you've got the green foliage all, all year round and again once you've got pyracanth established you could introduce a, a clematis, a summer flowering clematis or some honeysuckle or so some sweet pea up through it for the summer just to add an extra bit of colour. So any of the ivies Every, the evergreen ivies and pyracantha. Evergreen Virginia creeper would be another choice. Um, it's very fast growing. Cissus striatus, the botanical name, or evergreen uh, Virginia creeper. It goes a nice plummy red colour in the winter. And again, it's quite a vigorous and fast growing climbing plant. So there's three choices. Okay, lovely. And a good time to plant them as well. Okay, great. So get busy. Right, quick break. Back again in a few moments. 
Okay, you're uh, very welcome back. Uh, we're just kind of going through the questions to try and make sure we've answered all of them so far. Now, uh, lots still more to come though, Porik. Chinese lantern yeah. shrub. Um, this has died back in the bad winter and there are lots of new shoots at ground level. Great. So do they need to cut it? Yes, cut it. But that's the Chinese lantern, the crinodendron, and many of them are actually damaged badly you know, in the So we're talking winters. about 12, 12 months ago now, 12 really? months ago, right, yeah. Okay. So they're reshooting again, so that's a great sign. So literally just cut back any of the dead wood right back to where you see that young growth coming. I'd also just tip back the young growth as well, the new growth. Just take a couple of inches off the top of them because that'll encourage the plant to spread out and form more branches. Um, so cut it back to where you see new growth and just tip back the new growth as well and give it a feed of a tree and shrub or, or a sudden impact just to give it a bit of vigour and a bit of colour. But that'll come back perfectly okay. It may not flower this year. Mm. Chances are it probably won't flower right. this year. But it'll come back into flower next. It, the flower buds are actually on them at the moment and they come into flower in May, early June. So they'll this time next year it'll be okay. looking great, good great to hear that it yeah. survived yeah absolutely um, somebody would like to add a cottage garden border of flowers Lovely. to the garden what would you suggest for some well, summer colour first of all it's a great time and, and funny enough cottage garden plants are coming back into vogue again things like lupins delphiniums um, monkshood foxgloves all of those plants that are available at this time of year is a great mm-hmm. time to, to plant so the first thing I would do with the border is make sure that it's weed free to start with right. so if there's any signs of you know, scutch grass or, or, or bishop weed or any of those things coming through, make sure you eliminate those. Even if you have to leave the planting for a week or two, let the weeds come forward, treat it with the 360. And as I said earlier, that once it's used, the soil, um, it, it doesn't contaminate the soil. So you can plant as soon as the weeds have d- died. So that's the first thing. The second thing that most herbaceous plants like is some farmer manure or some rotted compost planted into the planting hole. And then it's a matter of just planting up the beds. And things like lupins and delphiniums, foxgloves, Granny's bonnet, the Aquilegia, um, Shasta daisy, the chrysanthemum. Plant them in groups of three, like a little bit like the alpines. Now, herbaceous plants in, in general, depending on the varieties, but in general, they tend to grow quite tall, three, four, five feet. They're lovely for cutting. Um, and use the taller plants at the back of the border. And then as you come forward, use the shorter plants. So things like hostas, astilbes, um, the granny's bonnet that I mentioned, the aquilegia, that would be lovely towards the front. So have it in a way that the taller plants are at the back and then coming down to medium size and then down to very dwarf, short, herbaceous plants towards the front. Plant them in groups, groups of three so you get a nice strong effect and um, it's a great time to plant them, Deirdre. So okay. there's lots of varieties. Rather than listing out a whole, yeah. what I would advise, again, like the Alpines, go to your garden centre, ask them to look at the cottage garden plants um, and there's a wide range but make sure that you get varieties that flower at different times of the year. So Aquilegia is in flower at the moment so you need to get something that's going to flower throughout the summer. Peony roses will be lovely as well. Yes. Um, and indeed you could add even a couple of cottage garden shrubs like hydrangeas mixed through the cottage garden bed can look very attractive or even some roses can look you know it fits into mm-hmm. that overall mm-hmm. look sweet peas would fit into it as well you could introduce a couple of bulbs then like dahlias would fit very well in a cottage gar- garden border or gladioli the lovely long stem gladioli yeah. and they'll give you a lot of summer colour so there's a very wide choice of plants it's a good time to do it I would just make sure the bed is weed free because if you get bishop weed or scutch grass or whatever in through the beds, it can be very difficult to eradicate it. It can break your heart. Yeah, it will. So start with a clean uh, slate, uh, clean bed, and then use the organic matter, as I mentioned, particularly for the more hungry plants, and plant them in groups of threes. That'll give you the best overall effect. Okay, great. Now, we have a monkey puzzle question, (laughs) Porek. And this person tells us that their dad planted a monkey puzzle tree in the garden. It's about 54 years old and will it produce a 
flower or a fruit? Well, first of all, the monkey puzzle is, is a conifer and, mm. and it gets its name um, from the... It's got... I suppose the leaves are, are very spiny and, and prickly and, mm-hmm. and people will know it. It's, it's kind of a very distinctive plant um, and unfortunately many people put it into a small gardens and of course this the monkey puzzle can grow in excess of 20 metres, 30 metres, I mean anything yeah, up to 100 feet. Tall. Oh yeah, up to 100 feet. So they're really a parkland plant. Um, funny enough, they're, they're, they're unusual in that they have a little bit like hollies. They either tend to be male or female. All right. Right? And so to get to get fruit and they do produce a seed which which is like a nut it's like a Brazilian nut you know the Brazil yes. nuts it's about that size the seed and and with the female flowers they produce about 50 to 100 seeds in a cluster so you've got this big cluster of nuts or seeds which are edible they're actually oh, okay. and they're very good to eat I believe um, but the, 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 the monkey puzzle won't flower until it's about and this tree is probably coming up to that age they need to be at least 50 60 okay, years old okay I thought it was oh, so old I was thinking why have you, has it not flowered yet no no and, and they're wow, actually they're, okay. pro, they're propagated from the seed that's the way they're, they're growing right. and unfortunately because you, pro, because you grow them from the seed you don't know which are the males and which are the females until when you buy them in the, right. in the garden centres they're not they won't be classed as male or female they're sown from seed so it's kind of a a bit of a lottery so if you want them to fruit you need to plant them in groups of maybe six or eight or in an avenue or in a cluster together so one tree on its own will bear flowers but it won't it won't bear fruit right. unless there's a they're wind pollinated as well so right. insects don't uh, visit the bees don't visit them for example monkey puzzles are, are they're like uh, sweet corn it's the wind that carries the pollen so they need to be fairly close to a male and a female need to be within kind of 20 meters okay. of one another to, to, so that the pollen transfers from one to the other. So I suppose if it's a single monkey puzzle, then it's unlikely, it, it will unless f- the, a neighbour's garden or something like yeah. that has another one. Yeah, it, it will flower as, as, a, as a mature plant, yeah. but um, the flowers are insignificant and they're at the, right at the very top of the tree, so right. you're not going to see them. Um, the fruit does, and the female varieties will, will set, and it often falls to the ground, and the nuts, are, as I say, are quite large. But so... I suppose what I'm saying really is you're not going to get fruit from them and you're not going to get the seed from them on a single tree on its own. They need to be in a cluster. But if you had a cluster of them together, then certainly you could keep an eye out in the late summer, autumn for the for the, the actual yes, seed that drops. Okay. Yeah, Interesting. And you can sow them from, from seed as well and propagate them from seed. But remember that they're a parkland. I mean, you need a big garden. You yeah. need space for them. Okay. They're going to grow 100 feet, probably anything up to 30 feet in diameter. Um, and many people just plant them in the front garden and after 15 or 20 years they're, they're cutting them down, away, which yeah. is a shame, really. Yeah, yeah. And as well, yeah. after growing a tree for such a long yeah. time. So, and if, so if listeners are thinking about planting a few, then I would plant at least five or six, put them in a, in a you know, space them about, you know, 10 metres, 15 metres apart and kind of have them clustered or in an avenue effect so that as they do mature the, the pollen will, will spread from one plant to the other. Okay. Now somebody has, uh, from monkey puzzles to something hopefully more manageable uh, roses, they All prune right. back their roses yeah. and they're strong new shoots appearing. Great. So they're wondering A, when do they start to feed them and with what and should they ro- use rose clear yet? Well certainly the feeding is important and I, as I always say when you prune you feed so um, ideally you, the roses should have got their first feed this time of year but if it's not done that's no problem get your rose fertiliser on get your sudden impact on now um, generally for roses you're feeding once a month that's the rule of thumb right up to you know 
August, early September, I would still be feeding the roses and that would encourage new flowers, new buds and plenty of colour. Okay. With the rose clear, again with the warm weather, the aphids and the green fly are going to be knocking about. So rather than just spraying them, I would just keep an eye on the roses and once you see the early start of aphids or black fly coming on and you'll see them with this sort of heat, they'll mm-hmm. start to come very visible very soon and they love the young shoots of roses. That's the time to start applying the rose clear. And again, I would apply the rose clear about once a fortnight and that would keep it bug and disease free. Lovely. Okay. We hope you have lots of lovely roses this year. Uh, Is it okay to use farm manure when you're sowing carrots? No. Simply because farm manure, rotten manure will cause them to fork. The the, the way to grow carrots is use the farm manure for the hungrier crops like potatoes. So when you're digging the drills of potatoes, you literally put in the farm manure into the drills and stick the spud into the manure and cover them over. In that piece of soil next year, that's where to grow the carrots because the, there'll be certainly a, a certain element of the manure left but the potatoes will have broken up the soil made it nice and loose and the carrots will just love that. So I would use sow the carrots in ground that has been fertilised by organic matter the previous year. Um, so keep the, the organic matter to more hungry crops like cabbage, um, potatoes in particular, anything that's hungry, rhubarb, great on rhubarb, you know, anything like that. Anything that's vigorous, leafy, that's where you use the rotten manure. Okay. Great. Now, uh, somebody's lawn is very wet. They've had to take out all their flowering cherry trees. Right. They died four of them. Oh, that's such a pity. Yeah. Um, they're wondering, would eucalyptus trees soak up the, be- the, the, the moisture better? No. Okay. No, eucalyptus won't tolerate the, you know, think about where eucalyptus originate from, Australia, Australia. New Zealand. They like uh, warmth. They like free-draining soil. Um, don't, put, don't put eucalyptus in. Consider willows, the one thing in the okay. willow family. Consider alders which are very good. They, you know, elders will grow with their feet in water. Um, and I would, to be honest, start considering, you know, maybe trying to drain that lawn because water, you know, at that high level, and, and, and cherries, funny enough, are very surface rooting. Mm-hmm. So for them to die is a sign that the lawn is extremely wet. Right. It's not that it's wet kind of two feet down. down. Right. Uh, cherries, the, the roots are no deeper than about 6, 8, 12 inches underneath the soil. They're very surface rooting and often appear in lawns. You'll see shoots of them popping up here and there. Mm-hmm. So the fact that the cherries have died is a real indication the lawn is extremely wet. And what basically what happens is the water squeezes the oxygen out of the soil and the plant, the roots need oxygen and they just die. But alders and willows, as you know, will tolerate wet conditions. They'll help to dry it up. But I would consider trying to drain that lawn, you know, look at a more long-term solution because you're going to be very limited in the amount of plants that you can grow. Okay. Now, is there something that you can kill off snails with in wintertime before they get very active? Well, you can use the, the um, you can use, of course, of course there are, I mean, uh, slugs and snails feed particularly at night time and they'll feed all year round. Um, so you can use the slug liquid, which is very effective. You can use the organic slug pellet. And again, little and often through the winter period will eliminate a lot of the slugs because the eggs are laid in the autumn, early winter. And, you know, it is good if you take some control, um, you'll certainly reduce the, the population of them. Okay. All right. Uh, and also on the getting rid of things we don't want front, uh, can you mention again what kills millipedes? The, there's a treatment called Protective C. You simply just spray it onto the path or the wall or whatever and once they come in contact that with that, it'll kill them off. Now, you know, as I keep saying, the millipedes, they're not going to do a whole, a whole lot of damage and they don't do a whole lot of damage. Mm. So unless they're, I mean, I wouldn't bother spraying them unless they're very, very bad, to be quite honest. Okay. Get the sweeping brush, sweep them up and... 
Let them chuck them over the hedge type of thing. But protective sea, if if you're adamant to put something down, you simply just spray it onto the wall or the surface, and walk away. And once they come onto that surface, that will that will kill them off. Yeah. Okay. Now, can we ask you about? This is something now I've never heard of before. Linuron. Yeah. Uh, when to use it? Uh, uh, what rate mm. and how safe? Okay. Well, linuron is used is a is a weed killer used. I think I featured it last week. It it's a um, used for for when growing potatoes commercially. A lot of the farmers will use it. So you what so what you simply do it prevents weeds from growing. Okay. So what you do is you plant your potatoes. You you earth them up. You pre- prepare the drills or the ridges, um, rake them off, and you know finish with the planting and and the soil mm-hmm. preparation, and then you apply the linuron along the top of the surface of the drill or the ridge basically what happens is that the potato comes through fine but any weed that's in the soil or that comes onto the soil is killed off so it's, it, it keeps the ground completely weed free for potatoes you can also use it on carrots but when you're growing carrots the, you use it in the reverse nearly you sow the carrots as, as mentioned um, wait for them to germinate so wait for the carrots to come through and wait for the actual carrot leaf to be visible that ferny foliage has to be visible. Now, that'll take a, a three, four, five-week period. And right. during that period, of course, the weeds are going to be growing as well. But you can apply the linuron safely then across the carrot bed. It'll leave the carrots alone and it'll kill off any seedlings or any weeds that are that coming are, through. Right. So all the um, application rates are on the leaflet, on the pack, and read them carefully. Um, remember that it's only to be used on potatoes and carrots not to be used on any other vegetables. I think parsley, actually, funny enough, parsley for some reason. Okay, you can use it on parsley as well. But no other vegetables, Not you know, don't use it on your ca- your cabbage or lettuce or whatever. So okay. it's strictly for potatoes and carrots. carrots. All right. Now, mm. um, hornbeam hedging. Yes. Somebody's wondering about that. Can yeah. we ask Mr. Horkin about hornbeam hedging? You can, of course. Is it would good you like to ask for me? frost and wind? Is yeah, the question. Now, hornbeam is, is a lovely plant. Um, it's deciduous, like beech, sheds its leaf in winter. Uh, but if you wanted a nice kind of native Irish hedge, um, something that'll be coming into leaf now and, and holding the foliage right through to November, hornbeam is as tough as old boots. Um, it's often nice mixed, either planted on its own mm-hmm. or planted in, uh, you could mix it with beech or with, you know, as, as a mixed hedge, white thorn. Um, you know, if you want to do a, get the gelder rose, a few different plants for a kind of a, a, um, a wild life hedge then hornbeam would be a lovely plant to introduce or just grow it on its own. Okay. Normally the time to plant them would be autumn, early winter, sort of you know, any time from October right up to um, mid-March is a good time to plant them and they're available bare rooted. So it's a good, easy, hardy hedge but do remember it does shed the leaf in winter so if, so you know, if you're looking if you for coverage all the time Yeah, it, right. it might be an option. Okay. <clears throat> Someone threw soil from a grow bag that spuds had been in. Right. Uh, they threw it around a red robin, and now they think the red robin is dead. Would the soil have killed no, it? No, 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 <laughs> nothing to do with the, nothing to do with it. No, no, and and that's actually a very good point. I mean, old compost yeah. in grow bags, in pots, in well, hanging baskets. Of course, it, it is. Yeah. Of course, there's still residual nutrition in the the compost. So if you wanted to use it as a mulch through your shrub beds or around a hedge or whatever, or or even to if you're doing up pots and containers and they're very large, yeah. use some of the compost in the base of the pot so that you're not wasting good compost keep the good compost to the top end of it or you can often re-energise compost by adding some slow release fertiliser so if it's compost that doesn't have a huge amount of root structure through it, then buy yourself a small tub of slow release fertiliser, mix that through the compost or through the peat and use it in your hanging baskets or your containers again so don't waste it, reuse it but that's not the problem with the Photinia 
with the right, with the red with the robin. robin. No, no. I mean, it has failed for some other reason. Right. Um, I mean, it should be there should be significant growth on red robins at the it moment. Is, yeah. So if it's not, if there's no sign of visible growth, then that plant has failed. But you haven't gilded yourself. Okay, just a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, mm. a lawn that was sprayed with sulphate of iron two to three weeks ago, is it okay to apply granular lime now? Well, I wouldn't lime a, a, a lawn, to be honest, if, if unless the soil is very acidic, because funny enough, lawn grass likes to grow in slightly acid soil. So we never, you'll hear the liming of, of agricultural land, certainly, you know, the farmers put plenty of lime on, but unless your soil is very acidic, very peaty, um, then there's no need to to put lime on a traditional lawn. So if it's our average garden soil, don't lime it, but certainly feed it. So you've killed the moss, which is great. Give the lawn a good mow, tidy it up and um, give it a feed of something like stadium or um, renovator just to, to get a bit of vigour and a bit of colour in it. But uh, liming of lawns is, you know, you won't ever hear me recommending yeah. it unless the soil is extremely acid or limey because it actually retards the growth Growth, of grass yeah so the the species that we use in lawns is a different to agricultural grass so you know they're two different things so i wouldn't apply lime unless you feel that the soil is very acidic very acidy it'd be peaty boggy natured soil right okay now last question i'm afraid Uh, and we're going to finish on vegetables and one i love celeriac oh yeah yeah, somebody sees it being used a lot on cookery programs can you tell them how to grow it and will it grow in ireland Yes, it will. Oh, it's 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 actually in the celery family and and tastes like celery, um, but it looks more like a turnip. Um, yes, it's an, uh, it's an ugly looking. It's, it is actually, really, yeah, it? yeah, it is. But first of all, um, great time to 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 grow it. You sow it from seed. Um, now you can sow the seed indoors if you've got a greenhouse and a tunnel just mm. to get them started and ki- and kick start it, um, and transplant the plants out then in about a month's time. Or you can sow the seed any time from late April mid to late April. Once the risk of frost is gone, the seed can be sown directly into the garden soil. It grows then throughout the summer. It needs a long growing period. It's quite big, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it needs, well, ideally you shouldn't let it grow too big because okay. the flavour really in celerac is, is more intense if you harvest the, the roots about four to six inches four inches really in diameter is the, is the optimum size. Okay. Now the longer you leave it and it tends to be more an autumn vegetable mm. so by sowing it from seed in April it grows through the summer and you start to harvest it around October and it can be left like uh, parsnips, it can be actually left in the ground during the autumn winter period that the, the flavour intensifies as we get into colder weather. So there's a very good variety called Monarch Monarch. It's in the Thompson and Morgan seed range so that's Celerac Monarch, look for that. It's actually not as ugly Okay. as some of the other celeracs. <laughs> it's got a more smoother skin. skin right. uh, so look for that monarch. You buy the seed, there'll be 50 or 60 seed in a pack. Simply sow them out of doors or indoors if you wish mm-hmm. to get them started early. Um, grow them on, liquid feed it during the summer months, make sure it doesn't dry out and then harvest your celerac anytime from October yeah. on and just take it as you need it. It'll also, if you know, as we go into say November, if you've quite a lot of it, you can store it in damp sand mm-hmm. uh, very similar to carrots or parsnips. Yeah, it's delicious, I love it. Lovely, yeah. Lovely in soup. I was just oh, going to say that. Lovely in soup. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, a nice celery, celery flavour, very intense. Yeah, yeah, really lovely. Yeah. Okay, well, good luck if you're going to try that out. That's all we have time for there today. You go, I'm yeah, Saturday. we have to draw things to a close. But well, remember that the uh, website gardencentre.ie, if people want fact sheets and information, uh, pop onto that. I'll be back on TV3 this this Thursday. We're doing a, a little kids special. Uh, being, oh, great you stuff. know the fact that it's Easter yes. uh, we've got some gardening for children so that's Thursday morning around half eight on TV3 join and, us and we're here again then on we're Saturday we're again on Saturday hope the voice will be in better, uh, yeah, better no, condition you did well this morning Porik, thanks, <laughs> thanks and good morning to everybody out there